0: Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. We found on page 16 in your pew Bibles, or 31 in the large print. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you not only that you have made this day that you have made us, and that when we have gone away from you, you have made a way back to you. God, we thank you for the promises that you have made. God, we thank you that you can be trusted. We thank you that you will always keep your promises. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be those who trust in you every day. God, through all that we face, We know that there's nothing that catches you by surprise. There's nothing that can thwart what you have said you will do. So Lord, when we are surprised by the changing nature of our lives and the changing nature of the world, we ask that you would help us in our weakness to continue to trust in you in all things. Lord, this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed, we ask that you would continue the work that you've been doing in our lives, bringing us closer to you through Jesus. That you would continue changing us ever more into the people that you created us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Genesis chapter 22, we have Abraham. Abraham who had waited 25 years from the time that God had told him that he would have a son. He was 75 years old. He waits another 25 years. and At the age of 100, finally receives his son. And then, several years later, so some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, And make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Turning then to gospel reading for this morning, John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25, which will be found on page 876 or 1677 in the large print Bibles. This is Jesus talking with his disciples. He has just told them that he is the vine, they are the branches. If they remain in him, they will bear much fruit. But apart from him, they can do nothing. And he has commanded them to love each other. And right after telling them to love each other, He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can throw the full weight of your life onto money. And you can hope that when all else fails, when all else changes, your money will be there for you. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. There are many promises that money gives. And yet it is so uncertain. And you look, and you look at the, uh, the stock market one day and you realize (laughs) maybe I've been putting my hope in the wrong place. You can throw the full weight of your life onto holding on to your youth. Try to maintain perfect physical health, exercise right, diet right, take all the right supplements and you say, you know what, money has no hold on me. I will give all of my money gladly to trade it for things of health. And hope that when all else fails, my health will still be there. Maybe it will. Maybe you'll have a difficult conversation with a doctor. And even if it's not, even if the doctor doesn't say, I'm sorry, but the test results show, dot, dot, dot. It may be that you have even another kind of uncomfortable conversation with a doctor where they say, well, you're getting to the age where and you realize you can't hold on to youth and that even the health that you may have taken for granted early on, even the health that you've worked so hard to keep, the age gets us all. You may look at these options and many others, and say, "I know better than that. I'm not going to throw the whole weight of my life onto money. I'm not going to throw it all into my career. I'm not going to throw it all into my health. I'm not going to throw it onto any of the things of this world because I know all of that can change. That all of that is so unstable. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw it all into the things of religion and the church." And I'm going to do everything I can to work my way into heaven. So that at the end, God will look at what I have done and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. As I look at your life, you did better than all your neighbors. Good job. And in fact, that's pretty tempting to some people. When you come up against the things that don't last in the world, and you say, well, then it's the eternal things. That's where I want to invest. And we see that Jesus says, you know, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And we say, okay, I'm not going to do that. Then store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to do that by working for God. And I'm going to work, I'm going to give him my whole life, and I'm going to work the whole way through so that at the end, he owes me something. He's got to give me the paycheck. After all, I've been working for him for years, right? It's common thinking. Not at all biblical. And I will tell you a couple of the problems with that. One is, there is nothing we can give to God that he didn't give us first. It's all his anyway. And so if you would give it all back to him, what does he owe you? Nothing. Nothing. So there's nothing we can ever do to earn any credit with God. Another reason, <laughs> my God. Another reason. This is uh, this is problematic. Do you know the things we were looking at to contrast it with? We said all these are so uncertain and unsure. We. Are so uncertain. Our own performance is so uncertain. If we say it all depends on me and I have to do perfect have to do everything perfectly, I can't even say that sentence right. See, look at me. Do everything perfectly. There will be times I don't. My performance is as uncertain as is the financial situation, our health. Or anything else. And if we put our hope in that, we will be let down. And so no matter what kind of promises we make to ourselves, this time, I'm going to get it right. We let ourselves down. And this can be really discouraging, especially after we looked at a passage like last week in Hebrews uh, 5 and 6, where it ends with, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And it almost looks like it's all on us. You know, We talked about how you know, once saved, always saved, and what that really means, and how those who are really saved will continue to the end. And so it almost makes it look like it depends on us. That we have to get it right. That we have to be those who are all the time perfect. Here, if that, is, if that is where you're living, be glad you came today. Because I have some good news for you. Our actions will demonstrate where our trust is what it is that we're hoping in. And if we are spending our time and our energy to do nothing but hoard wealth, it shows that we're trusting in money. If we are spending our time, our energy, and our wealth to hoard anything else of this world, it shows that's what we're trusting in. But if we're trusting in God, our lives will look different, but not because we're trying to earn anything from him. But because we realize what he has already provided for us. Free to us, but at great cost to him. And listen to this Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 through 20. It says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hopes that before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope As an anchor for the soul. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And we talk about Melchizedek... That's one of those fun names that just sort of jumps out at you. Who's that guy? We'll talk about him next week. We'll talk about him a lot next week. So hold on to that one. But for now we have people like Abraham to talk about. We have something like this curtain that our hope has entered behind. What are these about? Keep in mind the book of Hebrews was written to people who understood and knew their Old Testament well. When he talks about Abraham Everybody's heads nod and they say, yeah, yeah, we know Abraham. And so he says, well, think about this. God made a promise to Abraham that he would give him many children that he would make him a blessing to all nations through him. And yet, for 25 years, nothing. Nothing. 25, do you realize that 25 years ago it was 1989? Now I want you to think about this. What if you had a friend who had promised to give you something that you really wanted in 1989 and still to this day you've seen nothing? What would you start to think? Maybe you start to think it a long time ago before now even. I don't think they're going to give it to me at all. I don't think they keep their promises. You know, we're in a election time right now and the idea of somebody keeping their promises seems almost ridiculous. <laughs> but there are promises just handed out left and right and everybody kind of goes yeah, 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 whatever. And so when, and, and that's the world we live in. Promises are made and sometimes kept. But it says God makes his promise to Abraham and even though for 25 years he sees nothing can God still be trusted yes he can so even 25 years later though it's a long time to wait on earth God is faithful 25 years is nothing to him and he keeps his promise and Abraham receives a son and then as we just read Abraham even demonstrates faith in God further when they're going up the mountain years later and God has told him, I want you to give me that son back. Remember everything that we've received. It's all God's. And so he says, I want you to give this back. Does Abraham earn anything by giving it back? No. But he demonstrates that he trusts in God completely. He doesn't understand how it's all going to work, but he believes that if God has said, it's through Isaac that I'm going to give you many nations... You'll have many descendants. He says, I don't know how God's gonna do it. But I'm not gonna try to outmaneuver him. I'm not gonna second guess him. When God says, go take him onto the mountain and sacrifice him, Abraham doesn't say, maybe in 25 years. <laughs> you know, you were a long time in keeping your promise. What if I say, yes, I'll do it later? No. So the next morning, early the next morning, he gets up and he goes. God says go and Abraham says okay I don't understand it I don't necessarily like it but I trust God knows better than I do and so he goes and he even tells Isaac on the way or he even tells the servants "You know, we will come back to you and he tells Isaac on the way God will provide a lamb and yet he even gets to the point knife raised Isaac bound on the altar and at this point It still looks pretty grim for Isaac. But God is faithful. He doesn't want Abraham to kill his son. But he wants Abraham to see, he wants us all to see, that Abraham was willing to give up anything. There was nothing on earth that could get in the way of his trust in God. Do we have things that we are holding on to? That we say, God, I will give you anything except that. This is one of the reasons why Abraham not only became the father of many, but why he's referred to throughout uh, the New Testament so much as such a great example of faith, because there was nothing he held back. God says, I want you to give this. He says, Okay, you know better than I do. But in that story we also have God making this promise again of I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so he swore by himself to do that. And so it gives us this example of these promises. How when people make a promise they might keep it they might not. But they always have to swear on something by someone greater than themselves as the guarantee because people can't be trusted. God can't swear by anybody greater than himself, so he swears by himself. And it says, by these two uh, unchangeable things. These two unchanging things in which it is impossible for God to lie. He has made the promise. He's confirmed it with an oath. God cannot lie. Both of these are solid. When God says it's going to happen, it is going to happen. This is good news, not just for Abraham, but it's good news for us. It's good news for us. Here's what he says next of, the, uh, of this hope that we have. That we have fled to take hold of this hope. That God is faithful. That he will do what he said that he will do. And it says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Everything else is shifting around. But there's one thing that's solid. And that is God. And that is that he can be taken at his word. And so we have this as an anchor for the soul in the midst of a changing world. And it, says, and it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. We talked about this a little last week as well. How in the temple there was the one area that was known as the Holy of Holies. And this was an area where only the high priest could enter only once a year and only after sacrifices had been made and, in, and then he could go in once a year into the presence of God. It was separated from everybody else by a curtain. And as one commentator pointed out, that while this was representing what was to come, at the end of the day, we still had a problem. Because at the end of the day, the high priest would come back out. At the end of the day, the people were still on the outside. And so you still have people separated from God. Yes, he could go in once a year, but at the end of the day, everybody's still separated from God. But as we mentioned last week, when Jesus died on the cross, the, t- the curtain in the temple was actually torn from top to bottom and opened up Because it's in the death and resurrection of Jesus that we have a way that has been made for people to be in the very presence of God. No longer separated by sin. No longer separated even by that uh, curtain that represents that separation. And it says that Jesus has entered there already. He has made that way available to us. And it is through him that we come to God. Directly to the presence of God. Okay, that's what it says. Can it be trusted? Can we trust that the way has been made and all we have to do is trust in that, that Jesus has made the way for us, that he has forgiven our sins, that we, not some people somewhere at some time, but that you and me have had our sins forgiven by Jesus that we have a way directly to God, direct access to Him? Or are there still other things that we need to do? Do we still need to get things cleaned up in our own lives first, and then we can approach God? Do we still need to go through special rituals or practices, or do a little bit more good in this area or that, or work a little bit harder Are we trusting in our own works or are we trusting in what God has already said, what he has already done, that the way has been made and that we can come directly to him through Jesus? I'm asking all this as questions, but I hope you understand that the answer has already been given. God cannot lie. He can't. He is the truth the very definition of what it means to be true and when he says it it is so Jesus has entered the inner sanctuary on our behalf it says on our behalf becoming a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek which I say we'll talk about again next week but all of it is to make that way for you and for me to come directly to God This is the the hope that we have. And it says he tells us this so that we who have fled to take hold of this hope will find that this this hope is an anchor for our souls. All of us will be surprised by something this week. Something the following week. Something the week after. Every day we find new things. We say, I did not expect that was going to happen. But there it is. God is not surprised. And there is one thing that will never change. Let us hold on to that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.